Good afternoon, Crosswalk. No, there's still some energy in the room. We'll try and kill it before it gets too hot. Um, thanks, for, thanks for being here. Thanks for letting me be here. I know that last week I was on the screen. As you know, um, as, as our communities continue to grow and the demands on my time to be other places at times is a little more, um, a little more, what's the, I don't know what word I'm looking for here. A little more intense, we'll say. And so thanks for watching the screen last week. We understand that um, all of our other campuses do that the majority of the time. So it's good that you experienced it. And I just want to recognize something. I know that this wall gets funky. I understand that. Um, we've been fighting it for two years since we purchased it. It works well, and then it gets really weird and really funky. Um, I'm just going to let you know that the series that we're doing after the Momentum series is called This Generous Life. Anyway, it's good to be here with you. Um, thanks. My name is Tim Gillespie. I am the pastor of Crosswalk Church. And um, we're moving into a series called Momentum that will end with our Crosswalk Conference. So, hey, we'd love to have you come to the conference. It'll be Friday, then Saturday. We've got our big event on Saturday night with our anniversary and Sunday morning. We'd love to have you come. Some great speakers talking about um, how God builds momentum. We're doing that through the whole series, but also talking specifically about growing churches, growing the kingdom. So if you know somebody who wants to plant a Crosswalk Church or wants to plant a Love Well group, they need to be at our conference. We want them to be there. Um, and one of the reasons why we're doing this is because as we've been talking, it's, it's felt like it's been really difficult to build momentum coming out of COVID and, and just over the last few years. Like even though we've been meeting for a while, it's felt hard. Like before we went into COVID, we had in, at Redlands, you know, 14 to 1600 people every single week. It felt like every single one of our services was pretty full, jammed, packed, a lot of standing room only kind of stuff. And it felt like COVID just took the wind out of our sails. We thought that when we came back from COVID, oh, it'll just be the same. But people have changed, right? Their lives changed. The way that they think about coming to church and committing, all those things have changed a little bit. And it's been hard to build that momentum up. In fact, it's felt a little bit sometimes like Sisyphus, I think we felt. Now, if you don't know who Sisyphus is, like Isai, it's not syphilis, like he said <laughs> when I was going through this in, in the pre-work. Uh, he was like, Syphilis? I was like, no, that's something different, I'm pretty sure. Um, I believe he knows now. I've made fun of him in three services. So anyway, if you don't know who Sisyphus was, Sisyphus um, was the founder and king of Ephraim, which is now what we know as Corinth. And according to the Greek mythology, according to Greek mythology, Zeus punished him for cheating death twice by forcing him to roll an immense boulder up a hill only for it to um, roll down every time it neared the top, repeating the action for eternity, right? So he just, Sisyphus just could not build momentum. You know, like you're going up on a roller coaster, that's work, this is fun, right? It felt like, it, and this felt like that. It's felt like we've had a hard time gaining momentum. Until a little while ago, we began to sense something happening. And we'll get to that a little bit later. But I want to talk a little bit about what kills momentum. Because um, as you know, every church has a life cycle. Every church has seasons. Some of those seasons are growth oriented. Some of those seasons are decline oriented. Some of them are kind of stagnant. But we need to talk about what kills momentum, particularly in church. But this is kind of true in our lives as well. So the first thing we know that kills momentum for church is COVID, right? We get that. Um, but there's other things. One of the things that kills momentum in church 
is apathy. Right? That's an easy one. We, we kind of just don't care what's happening at church anymore. Church becomes routine. It, comes ma- it becomes mandatory. Sometimes it even becomes boring, and there's reasons for this. We feel like we have to go, but we fail to make those connections. We fail to get involved. And we simply end up consuming what is offered. And because we have no stake in it, no skin in that game, we have a tendency to just let it kind of wash over us. And there's this apathy. It's not hating what's going on in church. You'll stay in church in an apathetic stance for years for decades, in fact, because you're good people and you feel like you should be going to church. But you live in that apathetic state. When somebody leaves here angry, at least there's some passion, right? That's, that's the opposite of being super deeply involved. Apathy has a tendency to just degrade the momentum that's happening within a church because there's too many people just consuming, just experiencing, and not engaging. By the way, that apathy has a tendency to lead to mission drift, Because momentum dies when you forget why the church exists, right? When it, I've always felt like church is not for me, right? We build churches, but church is for those who God is about to bring into church. And once you're there, you're helping bring that experience to other people who need it as well. So I've never felt like church is for me, it's church for them. But when you lose that idea, right? When, when, When you begin to talk about worldview more than Jesus, or, or the world more than worship, or pointing out sin rather than pointing out grace in people's lives. When this happens, people become apathetic, right? Because there's this sense of like, well, we don't even know what we're doing anymore. We're just here. It's just road. It's just... So this is one of the reasons why every time before you leave church, you're going to hear the term love well, because that's our value, that's our mission statement, and we want you to think about that as you leave. We put it on t-shirts, we put it on bumper stickers, we put it on cups, we want everybody to know love well. We don't want to drift from the mission that God has put us on, right? But if you're apathetic, you end up experiencing mission drift, it leads to something. And this is something that the church feels. It leads, it leads to stagnancy. Or a church that loses its ability to innovate. A church becomes unsafe, an unsafe place to take risks anymore. We become comfortable with how things are rather than striving for how things can be. And stagnancy is kind of the silent killer. I got to tell you, when you start a church, um, there's no stagnancy. You're just excited that it's happening. When there was 85 people here, we innovated every single week. We did things differently. Everybody thought it was great. They were just surprised we were still here the next week. That's the only thing. They just were so excited being. But as numbers grow, right, as the stakes become a little bit higher, pretty soon people get a little nervous and they get a little scared to try something new, a little scared to innovate because there's so much more to lose. There's, you know, people's livelihoods depend on it and, and it's become a brand and it's become this thing and then we get a little scared and so we live stagnantly saying, well, we're, we're good enough and that's enough. And I just don't believe that to be true. But it kills momentum. It kills momentum just, you know, a millimeter at a time. And when you go to a church like that or you're involved in a church like that or you're experiencing that same sort of thing in your life, it's really hard to kind of kickstart it. But every once in a while, you will experience the rumbling or the shaking of the Holy Spirit. And you begin to think, wait a second, something's about to happen. Something's beginning to move and shift in my heart. I can feel it. I don't know what it is. It's intangible, but I'm getting to believe that maybe, maybe God's on the move. And I got to tell you, over the last few months, we've been experiencing that pretty significantly here at Crosswalk. 
This sense of maybe not, you know, trying to push this boulder up a hill every week only to have it fall back down. But, you know, you get a little higher each week and you're getting closer to that place where the boulder starts to pick up momentum. You can feel it. You can sense it. So we need to talk about what builds momentum. And that's actually what we're going to talk about over the next bunch of weeks until we get to October 22 where we have our conference. But today I want to talk to you about the way we prepare for that momentum to kick in. And it's intentional preparation. Um, really, this is what most successful forays into momentum takes. When you prepare, things seem to go a little better. Now, when I became a student missionary, I was um, going to be a student missionary in Majuro, which is, uh, which is a small island, but it has really great surf, which is not the only reason I chose to go there. But it played a part. So in preparation to go and surf in the Marshall Islands, which is like the real Pacific Ocean, I would go down to our little bit of the Pacific Ocean and try and surf. And so I went to Doheny, I went week after week, and I got to the place where I could surf those waves that come to the summer in Doheny, right? The waves that are about this tall. And I felt pretty good about myself. So we fly into Majuro. First day, my roommate and I, we run, we throw our stuff in the room because we don't care about where we're sleeping. But what we care about is where we're going to surf. There's a point break right out in front of our apartment. We grab our surfboards. We run out. We run out as far as we can. Then we start paddling. We paddle through the waves. And by the time we get out to where the waves are really breaking, we recognize something. First of all, neither one of us had ever been in waves this big. Second of all, neither one of us had ever been in waves that crashed in about a foot and a half worth of water above a really dangerous coral reef. Number three, we did not recognize how duly unprepared we were for this situation. But now we're out, sort of stuck. Luckily, there's this guy in Majuro. I, I don't know if he's still there. It was a long time ago. But he, uh, his name was Big Wave Dave. I don't think that's the name his mother gave him, but that's what he went by. And he was standing on the seawall. And um, we were out there, and you could see him just shaking his head. You know what that's like. You know when your dad or your mom, they don't get mad at you. They don't get angry. They just look at you like, hmm. If you've never experienced that, praise God. But we have all experienced that. And he's standing out there just like, hmm. Luckily, he goes and gets a surfboard, and he paddles out to us. And he said, who taught you how to surf? And we're like, we did? And he's like, you know nothing. And we're like, that's true. And he said, you're going to die. And I was like, thank you. This is the first interaction I had with a local. <laughs> yes, we may die. And he's like, you can't surf here. I was like, well, I'm going to be here for a year. If I can't surf here, he's like, you'll get better, but not today. These are horizon waves. So what's a horizon wave? He's like, it's a wave so big it'll push up the horizon. That's all a perspective thing, by the way. Just depends on where you're standing. Right, but anyway, I was, uh, where I was, it was definitely a horizon wave. You know, they're 14, 15 feet high. It's big. Anyway, he goes, so what you got to do, you can't surf. What you're going to have to do is you're going to have to paddle around the point. And we're like, how far is that? He's like, I don't know, like a mile and a half, which I don't know how long that was in my head, but it seemed like forever. And he said, and by the way, there's a, there's a hammerhead shark breeding ground that you're going to have to paddle through. I don't know if that's true. The whole time I was there, a whole year, never saw a hammerhead shark. Never once. But it was motivating. <laughs> right? Intentional preparation is really important when you're going to do something that involves momentum. 
And when you're going to do something that involves Holy Spirit momentum, there's definitely a question we need to ask, which is simply this, how did Jesus prepare? You see, Jesus knew he was heading into a season of momentum for his movement. He was not really ready even when the first miracle happened at Cana. You know that story, right? They run out of wine. His mother says, hey, they're out of wine. You need to take care of this. Jesus says, what's that to me, woman? My time has not yet come. By the way, don't talk to your mom like that. Um, And she says, well, do it anyway. So he does it. But then, right, he's not ready. We move to another biblical account where we recognize that Jesus took intentional time to help build, but he also took intentional time when he needed to maintain or when he needed to regain momentum and even when he needed to execute momentum in his ministry. So we should probably do the same. You see, the first thing he did is he took intentional time to prepare when he needed to prepare for a major task. We see this at the very beginning of his ministry. Before anything else really happens, he knew he was moving into a season that would require a great deal from him. So we're reading from Luke chapter 4. You know the story. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He had been baptized. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. What we see here is that Jesus was led. So this is actually from the Holy Spirit, so we should listen to it. This is God training him to build momentum, to prepare for the momentum. So the question I have for you today is, how is God telling you to prepare for this next season of life, of family, of ministry? Even in our churches, even just life, man, we've got, in this church alone, we've got 12 couples that are going to give birth in the next six months. 12, that's a lot. Chattanooga just had two babies being born. Life is changing, life is moving, life is growing. How is God telling you to prepare for this next season in your life? Then we understand, um, Luke 4, 2, that he was tempted for 40 days. You know, we only get that little pericope that feels like it's at the end of that story, but Jesus was tempted for those 40 days as he prepared. Jesus ate nothing all that time, and he became very hungry. The Holy Spirit knew what was ahead and what sort of preparation was needed. The same holds true in your life. So what could the Holy Spirit be directing you to do in this moment of preparation? Because when you prepare well, then we see the results, right? Jumping ahead in Luke chapter 4, it says this, after the the temptations, then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly throughout the whole region. That's momentum. And the Holy Spirit was able to accelerate the momentum around Jesus' ministry, not just because he had been faithful, But faithfulness led to Jesus being well prepared for the upcoming season of ministry. And what did he do? He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. Opportunities arose and Jesus took them. But he also prepared before making an important decision. Jesus took time before important decisions as well. This helped to provide a thoughtful platform to make decisions that helped with the building and maintaining and regaining of momentum. So we turn to Luke chapter 6 for this story. One day, soon afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night. Some decisions don't happen quickly. Sometimes you got to pray for a long time for a decision. Sometimes you make a snap decision, and it's what God wants. But I don't know. Some of that's our makeup, too. Um, how many of you are snap decision makers? Right? You know if you are, by the way, because you push that buy now button on Amazon. Right? You don't read any reviews. You don't do any of that. Chances are you're married to a review person, right? That's how it is in my house. My wife will read every review. I look and there's like a thousand reviews. I'm done. That's it. I don't need to know a review. I just look at the stars. And if there's a five-star review, I'm with that guy from what I can tell. 
So I'll just buy something. In fact, Amazon, Amazon's a lot. You can push a button, nothing shows up the next day. There are times things show up, I don't even know what it was that I pushed the button for. There's so little thought that I put in. By the way, have you ever ordered something in the morning and it's shown up in the afternoon? That's too much, Amazon. That's too, you're too close to me. How could you know I'm going to need that and it's within like reaching distance? That's not okay. Nervousness. However, my wife rarely has to return something from Amazon. I, on the other hand, often open things up, look at it, put it back in, close it up, and send it back that very same day if I can. Right? Some decisions take longer. And we need that wisdom that God gives us to make good decisions. But this is Jesus up all night, went on the mountain to pray, prayed all night. At daybreak, he called together all the disciples and he chose 12 of them to be their apostles. Right? This was a big choice. Who would choose to continue the momentum that he started in his ministry? But Jesus also took time to prepare, even to work through something like grief so that the momentum could be maintained, right? So if you know the story, so John was beheaded in prison. I'm reading from Matthew 14, 10. There's a whole story before that of why John was beheaded. And it's important that you read it. If you haven't read that story in a long time, if you don't know it, you need to read those first nine verses because there's intrigue, there's lust, there's betrayal. This is the result. John was beheaded. And his head was brought on a tray and given to the girl who took it to her mother. Later, John's disciples came for his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus what had happened. This is Jesus' family, right? So he's now experiencing a great deal of grief. So how does he deal with this? Not wanting to stop his ministry, but what does he do? As soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. But the crowds heard where he was and headed and followed on foot from many different towns. Jesus needed time to process away from the momentum. And interestingly enough, this is one of the ways that momentum is maintained, right? When you need to take the time, you step away. I just took six weeks of sabbatical. I'm not embarrassed to say. I took it because I knew that God is doing something and God is moving. And we're about to move into a season of great growth, move into a season of great influence and impact. And I needed to get my head on right. I needed to make sure that I was prepared for what God has for us in this community. In fact, I just needed to recharge because in the midst of momentum building, when things are the craziest, that's when we need to Sabbath, to rest, to recharge, to remember eternity and to put these things in their rightful place. Jesus did this and admonished his disciples to do it as well. Don't believe me? Mark 6, verse 30, the apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour, and I love that they called it that, and told them all the things they had done and taught. They were super excited. This was very successful ministry, pretty amazing stuff. Then Jesus said, hey, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. You see, Jesus didn't mark busyness as a marker of success or execution. Rather, well-being continued to make his disciples effective. So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. They took a moment. Now, momentum is not the constant turning of the wheel. That's work. In fact, it is the recognition that if we have done the work correctly, then the wheel will continue to turn without us for a while. Momentum means we become better 
at managing our time rather than frantic in the way that we use the tools that God has given us. And you know somebody who knows how to harness momentum? They never look like they're moving quickly. Again, and sorry for talking about surfing so much, but I love watching surfing competitions. They're just amazing in the angles they get. Now they have drones with these guys and it's incredible. And these women too, some of the women surfers are incredible as well. They all are, honestly. But I was watching, I was watching Chopu, which is in Tahiti, and it's just this massive wave. And it, this wave is so fast. It's incredible how fast this wave is. But I love watching Kelly Slater surf. That guy's 50 years old, he's my age. I think he, I think by, I think, what is the word I'm looking for? I think in terms of time, he's my age, but in terms of fitness, he's 14. This guy's incredible. But when he jumps on that wave at Chopu, he doesn't look like he's stressing. It looks like he's just standing up and grabbing his board and shoving the rail in and going through the end. It's the fastest wave on the planet, it feels like. I used to watch Michael Jordan play basketball and wondering why, how come everybody else on the court was moving so slowly. I got to watch Wayne, Wayne Gretzky in real life play hockey back in the, in the early 90s when he was in LA. And he skated as if everyone else was standing still. And I mean, they were all professional hockey players, but for some reason, he was that much faster. You see, they look slow because they understand how momentum works. It continues, and they learn how to harness it. So the question for us today is, how are you harnessing the momentum that God is building into your life and your ministry? And by the way, yes, you do have a ministry, right? A ministry that is connected deeply to your life and your calling, to what God is specifically asking you to do that only you can do because of who you are and the life that you live Right? If you don't believe me, you need to understand that in Scripture, it says in Isaiah 61, in Exodus 19, it says in 1 Peter 2, 9, and in Revelation 1, that we are a kingdom of priests. We all have a ministry that we are called to. Right? Sometimes it's as simple as bringing someone to church. It's as simple as being there when someone needs you to be there at your, your place of business or your job. It's, it's making sure you're taking care of your family in a way that honors God. And you're raising children up in the way that God would have them be raised. But we all have a ministry. And I believe that God is calling us. And God is, is the Holy Spirit is, is moving this momentum, this wave towards us. And he's asking you to prepare and harness. So how are you intentionally preparing for the momentum that is coming? Because I do believe that it's coming. From the calls that we get to the people inquiring, God is doing something, not just in this community, but all over this planet. People want to experience the movement of the Holy Spirit. They want to see God growing in His kingdom. They want to be a part of it. I, I was talking to a, a group that we're working with in Melbourne, Australia, and I just texted them, yesterday, because that's their Sabbath. It's not Friday, it's just Saturday there, just to clarify. And I texted them and I said, hey, blessings as you vision on what church can be, on what your life and ministry can be, on what God is moving you towards. But if we're going to step into the season of ministry here at Crosswalk Church and in your life, 
then we have to intentionally prepare. Before we talk about what builds momentum and how we harness that, what we have to do is make sure that we're prepared. And so this is what I'm going to ask all of you to do for this week. And you can do it in whatever way you want to. But I want us all to fast and pray for this upcoming season. And I don't know what you're going to fast from, whether you want to do a social media fast or an actual food fast and spend some time not eating so you can focus spiritually or really whatever it is in your life. You choose whether you need to take a day off work and just pray. I don't know. I'm going to let you figure that out. But I want you to pray, and I want you to pray for three things. Three important things as we move into this next season. The first thing I want you to pray about is your calling. What is God calling you specifically to do that really only you can do because of the way God made you and God created you and the experiences in life that you've had, the people that you know, and the, the place of influence that God has placed you? I want you to pray for that calling that it be clarified and made real in your life. The second thing I want you to pray for is courage. Courage to step into that calling. You may already deeply dwell within it, but God's going to call you to move deeper, to be more effective, to become ministers with more clarity and to specific and particular people in your lives. So I want you to pray about your calling. I want you to pray about the courage that God is going to give you to invest in that calling and engage in that calling. And then, I want you to pray for wisdom. Not just for yourself, but for the church as well. For those of us who, who have been tasked with the responsibility of, of full time being able to think about how we grow this movement through the Holy Spirit. But also for yourself. Because knowing our calling and being courageous to do our calling doesn't mean our calling will be effective. We need wisdom for that. To say the right things at the right time, to shut up when we need to shut up, to be bold. When, it call, when we're called to be bold, but also to be graceful when we're called to be graceful and patient when we're called to be patient. That's how wisdom works in the midst of this. So those are the three things I want you to pray for as you fast and pray this week. And just so you know, I've been fasting and praying this whole last week in preparation for this so that we as a community can recognize the movement of the Holy Spirit. I was, I was working one summer up at Pine Springs Ranch, which is the Southeastern California Conference's um, camp up past Idlewild, and um, spending my summer there. And it's at the end of this horseshoe valley. And I, I never thought about that really. Except one morning I woke up and I heard this, I heard this rumbling. And you don't really hear stuff like that. There's no trains. It sounded like maybe a train that was a little close. There's no trains up there. Um, there's no cars, really. There's not that much. But there was this, like, rumbling. I was like, what is that? What's going on? Now, we were in a season of earthquake. I didn't really recognize it at the time. And by the way, I'm from California. I'm okay with earthquakes. Give me an earthquake before a tornado any day of the week. But, but there's this, nothing's moving. There's just this rumbling sound really low, really deep. The birds were kind of freaking out a little bit and the horses were neighing a lot. It was like four o'clock in the morning and I'm waking up and I'm like, what is that? I can hear it. It's getting louder and louder. What is happening? What is going on? You know, if I was smart and I was prepared, I would have known what was coming. There was an earthquake coming up that valley and I would have gone and gotten into the right place, but that's not me. I just sat in bed listening. And as soon as that lodge started to shake, 
man, I did what every Californian does. You ask the question, right? Is that an earthquake? Which, if you're asking the question, yes, it is an earthquake, right? Is that an earthquake? Bed starts to shake. I think that's an earthquake. Bed keeps shaking. All right, it's an earthquake. I better go somewhere. And then you got to decide where you're going to go, and you're never really going to go to the right place. So I just stood in between two beds. If you are experiencing the rumbling of the Holy Spirit and you realize that that earth is about to shake because the Holy Spirit's about to move in not just your life, but in your community and the movement that God has placed with us here through Crosswalk, we got to be prepared for it. So this week, that's what we're going to do. And so even today, as we finish this service, I'm going to pray and then I'm going to thank you for your continued giving to this church, which is amazing. I'm going to tell you that if you have anything else that you want to pray for, or God is placing something on your heart, our prayer team will be right here. And then I'm going to tell you to go and love well. We're not going to sing, but all that's going to happen after we spend some time in prayer. So let's bow our heads. God of grace, we, uh, we're going to pray for three things. First, Lord, I'm going to ask that you clarify every calling that is in this room, which is just as many callings as there are people, if not more. Lord, may they understand it. May they sense it so clearly, with such clarity that they, 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 that they need courage to step in that deeply into what you're calling them to. That's the second thing we're praying for. Courage for them to, to be the person that you want them to be. Courage for them to step in and say the things you want them to say to grow the kingdom the way you want to grow the kingdom through them. And lastly, Lord, I'm going to pray for wisdom. Because when you give us that calling and we have the courage to step into it, the responsibility weighs heavy on us. And it's, it's overwhelming. So give us wisdom so we don't squander the calling and the courage that you've given us already. And Lord, as we fast and as we pray this week, in all different ways, you know our hearts. I just ask that this sense of presence become overwhelming. This sense of momentum, of the building of the wave, of what you are about to do through these communities and through every single one of these people, Lord. May we experience that palpably, so powerfully that we can't deny that not only are you our, not only are you God, not only are you good, but you have something for us to do. Lord, may we never mistake busyness for effectiveness. May we take the moments to prepare and regain that we need to. But Lord, be here with us. Because of all that we've experienced before as a community is nothing compared to what you have in wait for us through this next season. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. In your name I pray. In the name of Jesus. Amen. I want to thank you for the way that you continually give to this church. The reason we're able to do so many great things is because of the, the honest to goodness financial support that you give us to be able to pay for our facilities, to be able to pay for ministers, to be able to pay for the work of God. You are giving to God through Crosswalk Church. So thank you for that. We take that very seriously. Secondly, 
If you want to pray about something or you need somebody to journey with you, our prayer team will be right here to pray with you. And we're so grateful for them and the ministry that they have every single day and every single week. And lastly, as you leave here, we want you to do one thing, and one thing above all, and that's love well. Thank you, and we'll see you next week.